This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. to Amazing Grace for another week and my name's Lynette and I'm joined by my husband Dennis. It's great to be with you again. And um, Dennis tell us, you finished the last um, program talking about a man, was it John Calvin? Yeah, John Calvin, yeah, yeah. was um, <coughs> I just started on the story and we ran out of time mm, so, so, so we'll what? share more about it. Okay, so what's he known for? What's he famous for in Christian circles? Yeah, so um, when he became a Christian, he, he it's really interesting. He was travelling. Um, he stopped in Geneva for the night in Switzerland, and he was travelling somewhere else. But <clears throat> um, there was a John Farrell, I think was the name there, and he... Um, Talked to John Calvin about staying and helping with the the Reformation um, in Geneva, and so John Calvin actually spent the next thirty years there, and he was one of the main leaders, him and Martin Luther, in the Protestant Reformation, because people were persecuted all over Europe, and um, Geneva was a safe haven; no persecution could happen there. Um, and so people from all over Europe came to Geneva and studied under John Calvin and then they went um, to all parts of Europe to share the Reformation. Okay. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it, you know, today there is um, big emphasis on education. Even in the third world, they see education as a way to get ahead. Mm-hmm. Um the the education on a wide scale came from the the Reformation. It was Luther um, in Germany who promoted it first um, to to educate people so they could read the Bible, right. and that's how education on a wide scale for every man, woman, and child. Um, came because of the Protestant Reformation. If it wasn't from the Protestant Reformation, we, you know, we wouldn't have the the schools that we have today. Mm. You know, everyone's got to go to school, don't they, in New Zealand? Mm. And uh, yeah, that's come from the Protestant Reformation. So it was a great movement, and John Calvin was one of the main leaders. Right. Okay. So we're going to hear some more about that soon. So yes. So just a reminder that. Here at Amazing Grace, we want to hear from you. And we also have a free giveaway, the book Steps to Christ, here. And uh, in the local takeaways here in Palmerston North, check out the little rack where the 
magazine signs is and um, you're free to take one of those. They have articles on health and family and issues that we face in life today. So we would love your feedback or you can contact us for prayer for your, yourself or a friend or family member. And um, so for those things, our contact details are info at mpr.nz, info, I-N-F-O, at mpr.nz, or text on 022-6815216. Now, Dennis, would you like to say our opening prayer for us, please? (coughs) Father in heaven, we thank you for your unspeakable gift. The Bible says that. And uh, it says that you are all to give a lovely. And when we look at your character, uh, you are lovely. No one like you, Lord, the Bible says. And it's so true. And, Lord, we just ask that you would be with um, the listeners. You would be with us as we share a few um, thoughts from your wonderful book, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Dennis. So, what I'm going to share now is just some more thoughts around um, the, the um, it's more than a suggestion, it's, uh, it's the, God is inviting us to cast all our cares upon him. Casting all our anxieties upon him is one, is one, um, what's the word, one, mm, got stuck for one translation, that's it, yep. Um, so, casting all your anxieties upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary the devil walks around about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And um, yeah, we were, t- we were thinking about um, lions and, and zebras before with the health section in the last week, but this is, um, this is on a far more serious note. To be vigilant, to be um, use self-control because our enemy... Or our adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. So to watch and pray. Yeah, and it's interesting that the book of First Peter, the context of which it is written, so it's written by Simon Peter, who was the brother of Andrew, um, and he was called by Jesus while he was engaged in his fisherman trade in Bethesda on the Sea of Galilee. And through spending time with Jesus for the three and a half years when Jesus' earthly ministry, it was a, as he saw, watched and heard what Jesus said and did, it it just um, crystallized his commitment and that really came to a full crystallization when he saw that Jesus had risen from the dead, which was unhumanly possible, inhumanly possible, and 
the appearances that Jesus Jesus appeared to him and the others, and through the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he became Peter, a very strong early church leader. And he wrote the book of Peter not long before Nero, the emperor of Rome, would use Christians as a scapegoat for the fire of Rome in AD 64. So it was the book of First Peter was inspired by God and written down by Peter either the year before AD 63 or early AD 64. And isn't it interesting that God knows the beginning sorry, the end from the beginning, and he knew what was coming, and he wanted to prepare his um, his friends, his family, by getting Peter to write this book. So, and in remembering Peter's giving this advice by God's inspiration, but Peter knew how he had denied Jesus three times and he learned the hard way that you can't trust in your own resources that no one like knows you like Jesus does and he knew Peter knew Jesus knew Peter better than he knew himself and we need to realize that that God knows us and to be honest with God, to acknowledge that um, we often do it the wrong wrong way. We need to recognize that we are weak, very weak, and it's impossible to do the right without God in our life. And, And to be honest with God and to seek him for forgiveness and then to replace with the truth of God's word to to establish and stay connected with God through quality time of reading his word and hearing his voice speaking to us each day. So now we're going to have a song which kind of, it sounds like it's um, talking about Peter by Casting Crowns, but it's also talking about each one of us. I've been keeping Jesus at a distance So afraid to let him get too close To the two lives I've been living As if he couldn't see them both Close enough to feel the warmth of the fire Far enough away for me to hide But I'm tired of walking the wire Between the darkness and the light No more Jesus at a distance No more pushing you away I don't want to settle for the back row Of some Sunday morning faith So I'm holding nothing back now Cause there's nothing you don't see No more Jesus at a distance Can change every part of me Every part of me I was offered resurrection, but I settled for the grave 
I had the chance to walk on water But I chose to play it safe I've been hiding from a healer I thought my wounds were out of reach But at the end of all my running I'm still running after me So no more Jesus at a distance No more pushing you away I don't want to settle for the back road some Sunday morning thing So I'm holding nothing back now Cause there's nothing you don't see No more Jesus at a distance Come change every part of me Every part of me All my treasure Every part of me Every part of me When I can barely hold it together Every part of me Every part of me When I can't control where tomorrow's going Every part of me Every part of me When the ghost of my yesterdays come calling Every part of me Every part of me Who I am when there's no one else around So no more Jesus at a distance, no more pushing you away. I don't want to settle for the back row of some Sunday morning thing. So I'm holding nothing back now, cause there's nothing you don't see. No more Jesus at a distance, you'll change every part of me, every part of me, every part of me. Nothing you don't see No more Jesus at a distance Come change every part of me No more Jesus at a distance Come change every part of me Yes, no more Jesus at a distance Come change every part of me and that's a prayer that each of us need to be honest with God and say, yeah, my thoughts. So now we're going to do our health tip for this session from the book Live More Happy by Dr. Darren Morton. And we're looking at Chapter 9, Stress Less, Rest, De-Stress. And we... Um, Last time we are looking at zebras and just what we can learn from zebras, how they handle um, how they handle life, how they handle being chased by lions with the threat of losing their life. And now we're just going to have a little look more at zebras. Immerse in an uplifting physical and social environment. Zebras hang out in bright, sunny, natural environments. Their senses are bombarded with the uplifting sights, sounds and smells that natural landscapes provide. Blue and green is often seen by zebras 
And we learned earlier in this book that those two colors are very, very good for us, for our eyes, for our mind. Zebras are also social creatures that stay close and connected without the use of social media. They have close-knit family units. They recognize that together feels better. We need to learn from zebras. Look to the positive. While we can't be absolutely certain zebras don't seem to worry or spiral down into negative thinking, it is believed that humans are the only species that worries. And it is arguably the greatest source of human suffering. The tragedy is that while worry accounts for so much mental anguish, probably 90% or more of what we worry about never actually happens. As Mark Twain once said, I have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. Worry spends today's energy on tomorrow, which is unproductive, exhausting and stressful. It's been said that some people are so focused on the past that they walk backward into the future. Some people are so focused on the past that they walk backwards into the future. Living in the past can make us depressed. Others are so focused on the future that they fail to live in the present. And living in the future can make us anxious and stressed because the problem with living in the future is that there is just so much of it. When we look ahead, it is easy to become overwhelmed and alarmed and the future we look, sorry, and the further we look, the worse our anticipation of it gets. An increasingly popular activity used today to help pull us back into the now is the practice of mindfulness. Mindfulness is actually an ancient art that involves giving our attention to the present moment, being more aware. In theory, it is simple, but it is challenging in practice because our minds today are geared to be mindful rather than mindful. Importantly, mindfulness does not involve emptying your mind like some forms of meditation. Rather, it involves giving more attention to what is happening now as compared to then. Being mindful can involve being more aware of what is going on around us or inside us. For example, in a natural environment, we might take notice of the sounds of birds or the feel of the wind. Being mindful of what is happening inside us might involve taking notice of whether our muscles are tense or relaxed or whether our breathing is rapid or shallow or slow and full. Mindfulness activities have been shown to relieve stress and anxiety and increase happiness. Using a fMRI machine to observe the brain, researchers from the University of California found that practicing mindfulness 
quite literally cause the limbo, that's the part of the brain that controls our emotions, to it, it cause the limbo to calm down. Zebras give their full attention to what is happening in the present, and we should learn from them. But there is something else zebras seem to do that we could benefit from doing a lot more often than most of us do. Zebras are not only mindful of the moment, they also find it funny. Like all mammals, zebras laugh. What tickles their funny bone is unclear, but it is likely good for them. To laugh is definitely good for us humans. Many studies show that humour and laughter boost our health, resilience and happiness. And it is a great way to relieve stress. Wise Solomon was right when he wrote, A merry heart does good like a medicine. All humans... All humans, oops, yes, there we go, lost my place. All human groups laugh, but clearly we are meant to do it, and we should more often. How long has it been since you indulged in a good belly laugh? If you need help, studies indicate that we are about 30 times more likely to laugh when we are with others. So seriously, Find a funny friend and get a giggle going. Your stress levels will thank you for it. Okay, so that's our our thoughts uh, for today on our health tip, what we can learn from, from the zebras. And now we're going to have another song, and it's by the Irish group. And it's called um, Irish Revival, I believe.
it was a very bold claim, but Jesus did say that there is no other way but by him, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. And only God can say that, and we are fully convinced that he is God. So we're just going to have an ad break now. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Welcome back. It's Amazing Grace for another week. And now we're going to have our um, in-depth look at the Bible and Revelation and Dennis is um, going to share that section. Dennis, are you going to tell us some more now about, um, what was his name, John? John Calvin. Calvin. Yes. Mm. Yeah, we were looking at um, that verse, um, <clears throat> they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimonies. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. So last time I was going through a number of verses which were showing that uh, there will be uh, martyrs at the end of the world. Um, and I thought of another one, you know, um, which I, um, they're all the way through um, Revelation, but Revelation 20 um, verse uh, 4, and this is what it said, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been um, who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and before because of the word of God. And they did not worship the beast, his image, um, and not receive his mark on their forehead or in their hands. And they came to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So it's talking about the final crisis. Um, it's talking about the setting up of false worship, the worship of the beast and the image, and the mark, uh, which hasn't happened yet. That final crisis hasn't come, but it will come. And the Bible says there will be many martyrs. Now, I was just um, telling um, a story by John Calvin last time, and I had to stop because we ran out of time. And <clears throat> he, I, I just go over uh, it again, but um, tell the rest of the story. So, he was um, born on the 10th of July, 1509. His father was a lawyer. And at 12 years of age, he was appointed to be a chaplain of a small church. At age 14, he went to university or to study at the University of Paris. He studied to be a priest and then um, studied law. And side interest was Greek. Also, um, from the university, he received a doctorate degree. So he's a bright guy, very bright. And he published his first book at age 23. He was educated for the priesthood. He was an honoured defendant of the Catholic Church. Now, what made the change? He had a cousin, and uh, he had joined the Reformers and was in Paris sharing um, his thoughts about the gospel. And Calvin said, I will have none of your new doctrines <clears throat> to think that I have lived in error all my days. But alone in his room, he pondered what his cousin had said. 
And with these thoughts in his head, one day, by chance, he was walking through a public square and witnessed there the burning of a heretic. Thank goodness in the West we don't see those things today, but um, this heretic was... um, was burned in a public square, and he was filled with a wonder at the expression of peace on the martyr's face. And amid the torture of that dreadful death and condemnation of the church, he showed a faith and courage which he contrasts with his own um, despair and darkness. And Calvin knew that the heretic uh, rested his faith upon the Bible and he decided to study it and he discovered, if he could, the secret of their joy. And so he read the New Testament and the writings of Martin Luther. Then Then this is what he said. In the Bible, he found Christ. Oh, my father, he cried. His sacrifice has appeased thy wrath. His blood has washed away my impurities. His cross has bore my curse. His death has atoned for me. Now com- converted to the um, the Reformation movement, one night he stayed at Geneva, and then he was going to move on the next day, but he met it's William Farrow. Oh, I said that it was John Farrow. It was William Farrow who convinced him to stay on in Geneva and join um, him in the Reformation. And he spent the rest of his life in Geneva as a preacher and professor of theology. And when we were in Geneva, we actually went um, to his church, um, and there's a museum there um, about the Protestant Reformation in Geneva, and it's a very interesting place. He, um, at 27 years of age, he published the famous book, the Institutes of the um, Christian Religion. And he wrote commentaries in almost every book of the Bible and countless treaties on theological topics. His correspondence alone filled two volumes. So he was a very interesting uh, man. Now I have, um, I bought it in London, um, his institute, the Book of Institutes, and it's over a thousand pages, and he was 27. Now, uh, it's uh, in France, I think it's France, um, the Huguenots, they base their uh, teachings on John Calvin's Institutes. So it was a very important uh, book in the Reformation. The three main books in the Reformation were the Bible, the Bible first, uh, John Calvin's Institute and uh, Martin Luther's commentary on Galatians. So they were the books that um, had a great influence. Now, I have found very inspiring um, to read about different people and how they have faced death. Um, and I would like to be like that. If I had to um, to give up my life for Jesus, I would like to be like these people. Now, I know that I don't have strength. Um, Moody, Dwight Moody, who was a famous um, evangelist in the um, 1900s, was asked, do you have the courage to be a martyr? And he said, no. He said, no. But he said, um, if God wants me to be a martyr, he will give me the courage. 
Right. And as I mentioned, um, showing you from the Bible that in the future, all around the world, there will be martyrs. Um, even today, in 60 countries, Christians are persecuted. Now, I, I've read different stories um, about people who have given their lives for Jesus. And if other people can do it, we can do it. Now, I read the story um, of... Um, a man who was to be burned the next day, and he thought he couldn't bear the pain. It will be too hard, he thought. And there was uh, a fire in the cell where they were keeping him, and he put his foot in to see if he could bear it, but he soon pulled his foot out. He couldn't bear it. And the next morning he was taken out and he was burned, and he died bravely for his master. And Jesus, or God, didn't give him grace to burn his foot, but he gave him grace for his whole body to be burned. Now, I, I read that story in um, Spurgeon's sermon on Daniel 3, 16 to 18. Now, if you remember that story, was when um, Nebuchadnezzar set up this image. It's a picture of the end of the world, and he forced everyone... Um, to worship this image. And there were three Hebrews there that wouldn't worship. And they were brought before Nebuchadnezzar. And um, they were asked why they wouldn't worship. And um, Nebuchadnezzar, he got furious. And so he um, he chucked them in the fiery furnace. He actually heated the furnace seven times hotter. And he got his bravest men... Um, to tie these three Hebrews up and to chuck them into the fiery furnace. Now, it's really interesting that the the guys that chucked these three Hebrews into the fiery furnace, they were killed. But <clears throat> the three men chucked into the furnace, um, they were walking around with, um, um, I believe we believe it's Jesus. There was a fourth man in there. And all that was burnt of them, the ropes were burnt off their hands. And when they came out, they didn't even have the smell of smoke um, on them. So God can do anything, isn't it? <laughs> he can preserve anyone. He can give people courage. Now, I read another story um, about a woman was to be burned. Um, but a few days before she was burned, she gave birth to a child and she was in great pain and cried out loudly. And her adversity said to her, Now, will you bear, how will you bear to die for your religion? Ah, she said, Now I suffer in my own person as a woman, but then I shall not suffer, but Christ in me. Her words were not idle words. She bore her martyrdom with great patience. So isn't that, isn't that encouraging, you know, if we have to face um, being martyrs? And every one of the leaders in the New Testament were martyred except John. You know, um, for instance, all the disciples were martyred except John. And then you think of people like Nicodemus, Nicodemus. Um, Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, you think of Luke, think of Timothy. All of them were martyred, and uh, they died heroes. Now, <clears throat> I find this encouraging because God can give us strength for anything. 
Now, if you read the book of Maccabees, and you can just put this into uh, Google, the book of Maccabees, 2 Maccabees chapter 7, and here is a family. This is the time, about 167 um, BC before Christ, and the Assyrian uh, leader, he wanted to turn the um, the Greek Empire into one religion, and he he came down into Palestine and he forced the Jews um, to follow his religion, and he brought prominent families out to show um, as examples, and so when you read Second Maccabees chapter seven you have this story about this woman who had seven sons and they were tortured and put to death in one single day. And amazing woman this. Um, she watched the death of her seven sons in the course of a single day and endured it absolutely uh, because of her hope in the Lord. And listen to what she said to her sons. So she encouraged her sons. It was not I who endowed you with breath and life, I had not the shaping of you every part. It was the creator of the world ordaining the process of man's birth and presiding over the origin of all things, who in his mercy will most surely give you back both breath and life and seeing that you now despise your own existence for the sake of his laws. Listen to what one of the sons said. It was heaven who gave me these limbs, and for the sake of his laws, I disdain them from him. I No, I obtained them from him. I hoped to receive them again. The king and his attendants were astonished at the young man's courage and his utter indifference to suffering. And they did suffer. They um, suffered terribly. So it's... <coughs> It's encouraging that God can do anything. And I read from um, William Barclay's commentary on Revelation, and he talks about the martyrs. The martyrs were victorious because they lived the great principle of the gospel. They did not consider life more important than loyalty. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This principle runs all through the Gospels. And then he quotes um, a whole lot of references. For us, this is not necessarily a matter of dying for our faith, but a setting loyalty to Jesus Christ before um, anything and anyone. Um, that's the point. So loyalty is really important, and these this verse here, verse eleven in Revelation twelve, is talking about loyalty to Jesus Christ, no matter what. So it's just a just a brief um, some stories about people who have been faithful unto death. So we're going to have a break now. We need to have a song, Lynette. Thank you. I could stand here and try to tell you I found my way here on my own Brought to life this heart of stone 
made up my own mind to change my own life, working my own way to good as if anybody could. But the truth is, I've been broken since my very first breath. And the truth is, I've been wandering since my very first step. I know the only reason I can stand here unashamed. It's not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. There's no way that I could earn it. Praise God, my debt is paid. It's not because I'm worthy. It's all because of mercy. It's all because of mercy that we stand forgiven and because of the mercy of Christ taking the the consequences of our failures, paying the price on the cross. So back to Dennis now for finishing off today. Right, so it's good to be back and I'm going to look at verse 12 and it says, 
Um, so easy to read these verses, but what do they mean? You always got to ask, what do they mean? And it says, therefore, this is verse Revelation 12 and verse 12. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the, the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, let's just uh, think about this verse. So it says, therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. So the Bible talks about this world as a theater to the universe. So the the world, I mean, the universe is looking down on this world. But see, when Jesus died on the cross and um, Satan, he was cast to this earth finally, right? He was... He took over this earth um, when he deceived Adam. And uh, it says in the Bible, it says in First John uh, 5, 19 and other places that um, he is the ruler of this world. Um, but he was cast out um, originally when there was war in heaven. Um, but he could go back to heaven unto the time of the cross, and he's finally been cast out. And it says, um, therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. So Satan now cannot molest the other worlds and the angels in heaven because they have seen what he has done to God. See, Satan attack, uh, attacked the character of God. Um, but God has been vindicated because what he demonstrated here on this world, he demonstrated it. He is loving. And that his only motive going to the cross was to save us out of pure love. But then it says, But woe to the earth and to the sea, for the devil has gone down to you. Um, he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. Now, we believe that this is talking about the final crisis. The world is building for this final crisis that Satan will bring upon the world. And when you read in verse 17, which another time we will talk about, it says, Then the dragon, in uh, Revelation 12 and uh, verse 9, it says the dragon is the devil. See, it says there that the devil was enraged with the woman. The woman represents the church, went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commandments and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Right, So he's enraged because he knows that his time is short. Now, I don't know if I'm going to have time to cover all this, but when you go to um, Daniel, the book of Daniel, and you must understand the book of Daniel before you can understand uh, the book of Revelation. But in, <clears throat> in Revelation 12... In the beginning, um, the heading is the end times, the end times. And uh, I just want to share a few thoughts there. It's talking about the end time and the crisis at the end. And verse 1 says, At that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise, and there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. And at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found in the book, will be delivered. 
And then it says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And it says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heaven, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So verse 1, this is talking about the time um, when probation closes probation closes. Michael, the great prince, protects your people. He will arise. And this is going to be the end of probation. No more time. It's the same as the verse in Revelation 22, 11, where it says, he that is just, let him be just. And he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. So, and then there's a special resurrection before the general resurrection. And he says, it says there that um, multitudes, so, no, I should go back a bit. Um, so it says there's going to be a time of trouble such as never was. That's after probation finishes. And at that time, everyone who's found in the book of life will be delivered. And then there's a special resurrection that says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, some uh, to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, if you remember when Jesus was before the Sanhedrin, just before the cross, they asked him, are you the Christ? And he said, yes. And he said, hereafter you'll see the Son of Man coming um, in power and great glory. So they will be resurrected to see Jesus come. Now, in verse 4 it says there, at that time, um Talking about Daniel, it says, Close and seal up the words of the scroll, the book of Daniel, unto the time of the end. Or, as some versions say, well, the Moffat translation, the crisis at the end. So there's a big crisis at the end. Um, I'm going to run out of time. I might have to come back and do this next time. But um, I want to show that how the final crisis in the book of Daniel, how it's going to be a short time. Right, that's what it says in Revelation 12. It's going to be a short time. And it, um, we have three um, numbers in Revelation, I mean, in Daniel 12. And I, I think I'll have to come back to that one, Holland. How much time have we got? We've got one minute and a bit. Right. I've got one minute and a bit? Right. So <clears throat> the, I, I better um, close up. The, you know, the great thing, the great thing about the, the Bible is God loves you. I just printed the sermon off by Charles Spurgeon, and it's it's actually um, John 11.36, and it's titled, Oh, How He Loves You. Now, if you want to do your um, soul some good, um, read that sermon. So all you've got to do is put into Google um, – C. Spurgeon sermons and put in number 3228 you just put that in and it will come up and you can print it out and read it and it will do your um, it will do you the world of good or you can get our free book our free book is Steps to Christ the first chapter is um, about the love of God so my wife's telling me to stop talking, so God bless you until next time. Thank you, Dennis. 
Right, so from us here at Amazing Grace, we really hope and pray that you will grow in grace and that the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you. And yes, God bless until next time. enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.